off top, quite possibly the greatest baseball player of all time, Babe Ruth, played his final game in Yankee Stadium in front of only 2,000 fans because the team sucked and the fans wouldn't come out to support them. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. What up, Charlie? That's the perfect off top you found for me. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was either that or telling the fans that Babe Ruth is black. They already know that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they're listening to this. They've heard that before. Anyway, the point, the reason why I thought it was a great one is because it speaks to the fact that even in New York City with the best player ever, people are not going to come out for his farewell game if the team sucks. And the Oakland A's, they did come out. Their fans did come out to their game, not to support the team. Well, to support the team, but not to support John Fisher, the owner. This team is getting about less than 10,000 fans on average all season. They got 27,000 to to come to this game only to chant for John Fisher, the owner, to sell the team. The reason why they want him to sell the team is because he's trying to move the Oakland A's out of Oakland. He got uh, $380 million promised to him by the Las Vegas legislature to build a stadium on the Strip. So he's trying to move the team to Vegas, which Oakland is familiar with because the Raiders also left and went to Vegas. So first of all, I think most people know where I'm going to end up on this, but... What I have a hard time with is the way that we protect and treat our professional franchises and by extension, the owners of these professional franchises, we treat them like they are a class of business that is more exclusive than any other class of business. And at the same time, it encourages them to behave in a way that I think ruins sports to some degree. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I appreciate The capitalism that has seeped into sports to some degree, because that's what allows us to sit here and do this for money. That's what allowed me to play sports for money. That's what protects so many of our players and makes the the value of the game or the value of the skill go higher and higher. But at some point, we have to draw the line. And I feel like with the Oakland A's, there is no team I think of in major professional sports that I think is more associated with a city than the Oakland Athletics, like more. Maybe there's some that are equal, but when you think of the A's, you think of Oakland, right? Yeah. And and uh, Ricky Henderson, like that's it. Uh, I mean, maybe a little argument for the Yankees and Red Sox being attached to their cities. Not more. No, no. Just that's on, what I mean, on par, I think yeah. I think of those teams, they're all in the same ballpark. But I guess the reason why it matters to me is it feels like leagues and specifically teams traffic in and profit off of the connection that they make with the fans yes and the civic pride and you're one of us we're all in this together let's support each other we are here for you when we win a championship we're having a parade like they very much sell to us that these teams belong to us people say we when they're talking about teams you don't say we when you're talking about any other business that you're associated with or any other product that you enjoy you don't talk about game and thrones like you're a we even though you enjoy watching the show you don't say we had a good show last weekend you when the team has a game has a good game you say man we played well like it's something that they obviously uh purposely cultivate and put out commercials that tell you to bring your kids and they do all this stuff. And then when it comes down to it, they do things like this and it bothers me. So I want to be fair. 
the Coliseum's a dump. I played there. It was a dump when I played there like 20 years ago. I'm not that old, but a long time ago. And so I understand they want a new stadium. They need a new stadium. However, why can't you build your own stadium? Raise money outside like a normal business would to build your Mm. own stadium. Oh, it's almost like they're in Silicon Valley. (laughs) You you know, like, I mean, I guess then they might end up. Well, I guess they can't go across the bridge the way that the Warriors did, which generally sucks for Oakland because they are losing all. They lost the Raiders. They lost the Warriors. And it seems like they're going to lose the A's. So the reason why this is particularly offensive to me is because it's very clear what the teams believe the cities owe them, but to me, it feels like there are some implicit reciprocation that is never there, and it really makes me angry. And it also, I think in the long run, it degrades the game, especially a game like baseball that, you know, has become regional. So. Yeah. It's not good for them. It's not good for the fans. It's not good for the cities. It's only good for the guy who owns the team. And I think that is really what frustrates me. Um, I could not agree with you more. I find the whole thing sickening. I mean, this is a sport that traffics in regional nostalgia. And more than any other sport. And from the top down, since Rob Manfred called the World Series trophy a hunk of metal, and over the last decade we've seen and we saw a yankee hit 62 home runs last year and was met with apathy we've seen the next babe ruth uh basically play in anaheim and people like okay wait till he gets traded to the yankees okay so you can hit 62 home runs there and people won't care um the connection to the sport has been degrading for the last 20 years and to basically have it laid bare to fans that you are nothing but a ticket price is to me taking all of the joy away from something that is an experience. And it's, you have someone like John Fisher, who I genuinely think this, I genuinely think he views owning the Oakland A's like it's top golf. People are, people are going to come for an evening. They'll drink a couple beers. They'll pay too much money and they'll leave. They'll leave. And that's all he cares about. And you, you're saying it's that there um, needs to be a responsibility to, or to locations and regions. from these. Yeah. And I completely agree. Like, Part of the reason that we have so many fans that like unknowingly take pro management uh, stances is because they think that the teams care about them and putting out a product that's attempting to win or attempting to you know bring people out or watch it on TV. And when it's laid bare like this that they that the ownership doesn't care, it should be like they should fans should boycott all of these games. It's a joke. Yeah, and they raise the prices. And to be clear, John Fisher is uh, the owner of the team. He's an heir to the Gap Clothing Empire. So it's not even as if he's one of these people who made a bunch of money on his own and came in and bought the team. He's so like, literally the baby Gap. Right. <laughs> well, well played. So. He has a reputation, and I've done a bunch of reading catching up this morning, but a reputation amongst owners of being one of the worst ones in a sport that is not necessarily celebrated. And it's not even just amongst the owners. It's also amongst the players and the fans. He was the only owner who tried not to pay the minor league players uh, during the work stoppage. Uh, He ended up getting shamed into doing it. But like, this is the person that we're talking about. And I'm not looking to like, to vilify him. I am. (laughs) or Dave Cavill, the president of the team. I'm fine with it. I'm not looking to to vilify them necessarily, but I do think that they need to be faced with this because the point that 
that you were kind of uh, leading us up to is, to me at least, it seems clear that they're using their value. And I guess, all right, I'll start here. What is the value that they offer cities or municipalities? Because it's been like proven in tons of studies that bringing a professional franchise to uh, or contributing public money to a professional franchise does not translate to giving the right economic return for it to be of any value. So it must be just for goodwill or cachet or, or fame. I don't know why teams or why cities fight over these teams why would vegas be interested in paying 380 million dollars to bring a team there because i can't imagine that vegas which is not a big media market not a huge population is dying to bring baseball to their city good feelings and urban gentrification yeah yeah it's pretty simple and it's pretty crass and it's pretty ugly i think the a's the reason why part of the reason why the a's doing this is so upsetting is because i think the a's being the Moneyball team, yeah, and they set off this revolution. Like they created a way to stay in a city, like because that's always the argument is like we can't afford to compete. But but maybe against the the wishes of John Fisher, and that's one thing that's come out with all of this is that in cutting money, I don't think he even thought it was going to work with Billy Bean the first time. And that's one of the, like he might have wanted this since two thousand and five to be out of Oakland, to be out of the stadium. And it was simply prolonged because he had too competent of a general manager and assistant general manager and Billy Bean and Eric DaCosta. So we provide, and I don't think people know this, we think about teams and sports and leagues as like big versions of high school when they're not. So one of the things that, or two of the things that happen in, a, in major American sports that are things that we gift them is one, we allow them to exist as a legal monopoly, as a cartel, essentially. We allow all these teams to work together, which if you know anything about sports in any other countries, that's not how they work. They work like independent businesses. So they have to become profitable. They have to make sure that their business works in the same way that any other business in this country would work. And like, that's a big benefit. For that, what do they return to us? It doesn't feel fair because normally you would expect that if you are giving them, which ostensibly is billions of dollars, yeah, because they can negotiate with TV uh, partners, they can negotiate with sponsors all together and get lots more money to do the things that they want to do. And for us giving them that uh, in exchange for having a union, they return to the cities. A whole lot of nothing it would feel like the other protection that that we offer or the other um, value that cities offer them is public money. And I think to be clear, when we're saying public money, it's a it's like a prettier way to say tax dollars. Yeah. And like in major American cities that need money for education, obviously, where we are falling behind in education and all over the place and infrastructure and everything. Like there are places where this money could be used and could be valuable. The idea that we are that cities are offering them this money that they will not get back and arguing that they will generate the same level of revenue that can then go back into the system has not been done anywhere yet and can't be proven. So why can't we at some point be honest about the relationship or force them to operate in the way that regular businesses operate? I think that's what frustrates me most about this is because it's so clear that John Fisher is not a smart businessman. He is not doing some 
like light years ahead of everyone else strategy. No, he's fumbling around. And because we allow them to exist inside of a cartel, he can't fail. And it bothers me that he can be terrible at his job uh, of owning the team for a long stretch. And the punishment for that is $380 million in a new stadium in Las Vegas. The, the punishment for it is public shame. That's and and the, he, which is he why will, we keep saying his name. And and he will likely escape from the massive amounts of public shame because it's professional baseball, and he's going to be hiding in Las Vegas where people don't care. Like this is, we eventually have been able to shame out the most shameless owners in other in other sports, uh, usually for their um, yeah. lack of morality and other things. But that that is actually those are the stakes for them because. To be an owner in a professional sports, you entered the billionaire cool kids club. And when you're seen as, you know, the person who's, for lack of a better term, fucking up the money for everyone else, you usually get shamed out by the other billionaires that you think are cool and the fans who are supposed to support you. And him basically skating off of that while he's the, you know, the Connor Roy of mm-hmm. Major League Baseball owners <laughs> right. um, and recreating the plot of Major League. Like, this is crazy. I th- Genuinely, having a sub 200 winning percentage and winning seven games in a row that has not happened since 1895. He made a team so bad that winning seven games in a row has not happened in 130 years. That's terrible. And uh, also they've had the lowest, um, I think, salaries of any team in baseball. I think they're 27th over the time that he's been there. It's not being competitive. Your point about Moneyball is, is interesting because – in baseball, it's been kind of proven that you can outsmart other teams. Sure. Your way to being competitive with a small uh, salary. Uh, the the Mets stink right now. They're paying a ton of money. It's not about spending the money. It's about look finding at, ways to succeed. Look at the team they beat, the Tampa Bay Rays, which are they've been playing in Tropicana Field, maybe the only stadium as bad as the Coliseum. And they have moneyballed their way into being one of the best teams in baseball for half a decade. And that's, look... That is serving your fans. Right. It's not just spending the money. That is serving the fans, the players in the organization to develop guys and find guys in a way that can actually make an entertaining product. That- I, I think we worked our way to an uh, overarching point because it wasn't clear to me. I think I've been stumbling around because it wasn't clear to me exactly what my point was. It's just like I'm angry and frustrated, but I also want to be fair. But I think the point is everyone has requirements and expectations except for the owner. And I think that's what bothers me because there is an expectation that the city is going to help you build your stadium. There's an expectation because they've been kind of pointing to the fans lack of support as a reason why they should leave. There's an expectation that the fans will buy your tickets and come and support your team. Even when you're not good, that expectation is there, but it doesn't feel like there's an expectation or at least there's no punishment. I think that's it. There is a punishment. There's a um, a penalty for cities who don't want to support building new stadiums for their teams and for fans who don't want to go to games for teams that suck. Yeah, there is no punishment. And that goes back to the like legal cartel thing. The punishment for businesses that suck at being businesses is failure, yeah. bankruptcy. That's what happens to everyone. And I, I've used the Starbucks and um, and coffee shop example around here often, but the idea that they can just make shitty coffee all the time not love frappuccino not do anything to improve the coffee experience and because they exist in this system that they're going to be like you know what we're terrible to all of you all the time 
but we're going to leave and get someone else to buy us and pay more. Like that, that just, I think rubs me the wrong way. And it's, made even uglier because we exist in uh or it exists in sports where the core of it is competition like the core of coffee is not competition it's caffeine yeah it gets you high enough so you can get through your day but it's like we watch on the field every time it's like well one team is rewarded because they did everything right blah 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 or cheated in baseball sometimes that's the case either way they are re- rewarded for success the american experience <laughs> yeah they're rewarded for success and then we look at these owners who like fail and stink and have no success and then expect us to still and not even expect us then receive uh other cities like hey why don't you come be over here we'll pay you it just i don't know there is no final uh graceful dismount for me on this it's just frustrating and disappointing my dismount is I just hope they keep winning because that is gen. It is genuinely the plot of Major League, and baseball is a season that's 162 games and is met with a lot of apathy by the, by the players and effort issues and days off. And I just sincerely hope that they can Ricky Vaughn and Willie Mays Hayes their way to a long winning streak that just puts a thorn in their owner's side for the next several months. The owners should like the the fans who are chanting for him to sell the team. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone out there that's a realist that realistically wants to buy the team, but they want him to sell a team so they can keep in Oakland. But I do kind of feel like what's the point in buying a team if you're going to run it in order to like milk all the profit out of it? It feels to me like professional sports owners, the only good ones are ones that got a ton of money and are really in this to win aren't in this to like to parlay it into some property management deal or they aren't in it to raise franchise values they aren't in it to bilk cities out of money like if we have like a ridiculous amount of income disparity or wealth disparity in this country that's growing year in and year out. One of the good things about it should be that the people who own sports teams don't give a damn about making a profit and they aren't raising prices when their team sucks, which is something that the A's did that they aren't like intentionally yeah. to try and curb fan interest yeah, to discourage the fan interest so that they can go say that, no, you guys don't want us here so they can move. Like they should not be, doing these things so like i have i don't know it's it's hard for me to separate all of um the business from the sports i don't like to but i wish we could in the conversation i had with mike sure a couple weeks ago it was uh, we kind of touched on that like how when the the business leaks into the art or the entertainment it never like really feels like it's better. Like I like the idea of there being some sort of veil between that. I like the idea of going back to my youth where I didn't have to think about all this other stuff, but they make it impossible for us to ignore it. It's so interesting because like there was a period in baseball where I felt like business seeping into baseball made it more interesting because there were more, there were different ways to win. And now as it's become homogenized, like a lot of analytics and professional sports and business models, it's become significantly less interesting and significantly sadder and there's going to be nothing more sad than the idea of of the oakland days profit as a monolith that they opened the stadium in las vegas in the shadow of pete rose signing sadly signing baseballs and selling them for like 1999 at like a casino halfway down the strip optimization is such a not fun word 
Because I feel like that's what all of this is, is even on the field where it gets less exciting, it's because we're trying to be efficient. We're trying to optimize. We're trying to make the best. And at the beginning of it, it's like, oh, cool. These teams now are interesting and competitive because you guys are trying to optimize this. But then once everyone is optimizing it, it sucks. No one thinks about their fun as something that they want to optimize. You're not like trying to figure out how efficiently you can cram in a bunch of TV shows that you care about. You're just trying to relax and have a good time. And it's, it kind of sucks. And I know that there's a balance. You don't want them out there not caring, but you would like there to be some, and it's the same thing with like, all right, I bought this franchise. Let me like run it as efficiently as possible and optimize every uh, nook and cranny so we can milk all the money out of it. Like, the thing about it that's so confusing to me is do you not see the big picture? And of all the leagues and all the major professional leagues in uh, America, MLB should be very aware of how dangerous that is to, to the product and how that will inevitably cost you in the long run. And that's it. It's like the climate change problem. It ain't good for none of us. Yeah. Like it's not good for you. It's not good for us. It's not good long term. And why exist in a legal cartel if you're not going to prop each other up? Like if you can't afford it, let's say that John Fisher can't afford to build a stadium. Well, that's where Major League Baseball should step in and the other teams should step in and create a stadium and not lose the value of this fan base and also not like mar the reputation of baseball any further and not degrade the product any further and and uh, I guess push fans away. Well, also, let's be very clear about this. They're not just degrading the value of a fan base where it's like the NFL. You could move an NFL team anywhere in the United States and the fan base would exist that could rival the prior, prior fan base because we are football sickos. Yes. But in baseball, they aren't making new baseball fans who want to who want a box score watch for 162 games and are going to be attached to a team that way. That's just simply not the state of play. Unless the pitch clock and getting rid of the shift can take things away like launch angle and working for walks and trading away your good players for prospects to like reset the deck over and over again. That is like not going to happen in Vegas. I, I feel fine going out on a limb that way. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the argument for Vegas is a even more crass or not crass, even more callous one is they're trying to turn that team into a tourist attraction. Definitely. Right. So it's like, all right, build another big room out there. Yeah. And I know that was part of the pitch for when the Raiders went there. It was like, but for Raiders and for football games, it's a eight games a year. Yeah. Thing. It's a, a convention like, center. Yeah. The rest of the time. And like, I could understand that it may draw football fans out there because your team might go there once a year. Or they may go there once every four years if they're out of division. It's like, all right, let's go on a trip to Vegas. Nobody's going to Vegas to watch baseball games. Like, I don't think that we're making uh, pilgrimages to the 162 games that are going to take place uh, to go out to Vegas to watch your team play. It's just not a thing that's going to happen. It, it, I don't know. I guess I just, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around who this makes sense for, why it makes sense for the politician. I was going to transition to a football topic, but I don't want to do that without first saying the politicians in Vegas. Can you explain to me why they're doing this? Like what there, if we agree that there's no, there's a minor, if any constituency in Vegas, that's like, man, I wish we had a pro baseball team. Cause there ain't enough things to do here in Las Vegas. I mean, they've had a Mets minor league team. And I, I have, I honestly, I'm not going to sit, sit here and pretend I know how successful that team is, but I assume it's not 
crazy. Yeah. But the the population there is not one that can support another professional franchise. So you still haven't answered the question. Maybe it's one you can't answer. Why why do they want this? Why are they doing this? Because professional sports are cool. It's I think it just comes it's good feelings amongst people to have professional sports team. That's interesting. I mean, this is a tangent for a whole nother podcast and probably not this podcast, but it's like it speaks to the apathy of voters. And there probably are a few thousand people that are excited and most people won't vote. But if you can engage and excite a few thousand people to come out and vote, I think that most people aren't going to vote against politicians who vote this through because they voted it through but there might be some who decide that they get up and go in and vote for them we can't fix your housing crisis but here take the a's yeah that's sad i mean it's permeates a lot of our political landscape where the point is to super serve the people that you your fan base and not necessarily look to improve uh systemic issues and actually do a good job for everyone else because it's more likely to get this small group of people who are crazy about this little thing to come in and vote for you. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play and boom on Yeho tequila came in with a smooth assist to hypnotic's tropical fruit finish, shaken, strained, poured, It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Football. Mm. I like it. It's a good game. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The um, major football topic of the day is, or of the week right now, is Stefan Diggs having... uh, undisclosed issue i guess with uh the buffalo bills and he's not participating in voluntary workouts and i very much am opposed to treating voluntary workouts like someone has committed some sort of crime however in this case sean mcdermott and josh allen and stefan diggs have all either through social media or in uh two reporters have made it clear that 
there's something going on. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. Quote, unquote, very, very concerned from yeah, Sean McDermott. Right. Which I'd be very, very concerned, too. So the real weird thing about this is normally something like this would be connected to a contract issue. Uh, he just got his contract extended last year. Yeah. And also... You know what people say when they have a contract issue and they're not showing up? I'm not showing up because I have a contract issue. Stefan Diggs has not said that. But it's clear that something's going on. So it feels like to me that it's some interpersonal dynamics on the team and on the roster. I've been on a ton of teams where we've had that. And I normally don't think of those things as distractions because they don't grow to the point where people stop coming to work. Yeah. But again, let's be clear that this was voluntary. I assume that he'll be back at some point. They'll sort out whatever issues they've they've had. However, it does bother me a little bit because one of my uh, hobby horses is how distractions aren't a real thing. Yeah. In football and how coaches just use that word as a way to control their players and to uh, tell them what they can and can't do. Because by the anyone who's made it to the NFL has like managed a bunch of distractions. Something has happened. I've been on teams where guys had there were love triangles going on and there were fights over this and issues uh, between teammates that went further than you would think people could work together. And you know what? We showed up. And football is football. And none of us had, I guess, enough influence to like disrupt the whole team or none of us had enough power. Frankly, you see it different in different sports, but football players tend not to have enough leverage or power is like, you know what? I'm really mad. This is really upsetting me. This is uncomfortable. What am I going to do about it? Not show up? No, because then they won't pay you. When to make a stink? No, they'll bench you and cut you or trade you. Like, it's just not something that football players have the leverage to do. Yeah, I mean, I don't, this is really interesting because I genuinely don't know if this can be termed a distraction or not. And the reason I say that is because Stefan, Stefan Diggs was so instrumental in the development of Josh Allen and the turning around of that team that not having him play on your football team or play at a hundred percent on your football team, it doesn't just, it doesn't affect the team because of it making other people distracted from football. It affects the football team because it genuinely makes them significantly worse. And this is a team that is the second favorite in the AFC to win the Super Bowl after the Chiefs. Yeah. I mean, the the Bills were, or Josh Allen was not good. Um, Stefan Diggs gets there. He's great. And there are multiplicity of factors that right. go into it with Dable, Josh Allen's stuff. It's, it's, but they no, all come together. But he's one, a huge part of it. One factor. He couldn't beat man coverage. Stefan Diggs got there. And then he could not beat man coverage. Maybe his the time that he's had since then, I think he's developed other skills. And yeah. he probably could survive without Stefan Diggs. But I don't know that he gets to this point if Stefan Diggs Agreed. Agreed. doesn't show up there at, at some point and take the pressure off of him. So, yeah, it does matter a great deal. And this goes back to the point that I was making earlier. The reason why I tend to think distractions aren't a big deal in football is because most of the time the players don't have the impact or influence to do anything about it. That ain't true here because Stefan Diggs offensive production is directly connected to how good their franchise quarterback can play. And quarterbacks are the only ones who have that type of superstar leverage, good quarterbacks. And Josh Allen is that. And Stefan Diggs is that to him. Well, I also think of like disgruntled receivers changing teams in off seasons that are shocking actually do swing Super Bowls, And like these teams both lost the Super Bowl, but the 2007 Patriots and I, I think it was 2004, the Eagles team yeah, that the got Eagles Terrell, Terrell Owens, both of those guys 
I think it's fair to say they're a tier up from Diggs, but Diggs is awesome. And those their value proposition created two of the best offenses in recent memory. And that's sort of what Stefan Diggs does for the Bills, who were getting greatest show on turf comparisons in the beginning of the year before Josh Allen hurt his elbow and what he could theoretically do for another team. I don't see a world where Stefan Diggs is not on the Bills this year. They just paid him a $16 million roster bonus. It would create $31 million of dead cap. But do you see a situation where it could be toxic enough that it just cannot work there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think normally I would say no. Yeah. Be- again, because there are no single players in football that are that important, except for quarterbacks. Right. And in this case, I think Stefan Diggs is that important. I think that this team is built around their offensive production yeah. and how good Stefan or how good Josh Allen is. Their defense is, has been good, but their defense has not been the difference maker. You think about their playoff games, it was never the defense that was holding it together. Uh, it got them to the playoffs before Josh Allen got good. And now that they have Super Bowl uh, or realistic Super Bowl aspirations, they come up short in games because their defense isn't right. So, like, that's not going to be what we're looking or where they're looking to get things done. Where they're looking to get things done is on the offensive side of the ball. And then you think, all right, how else could they be effective without Stefan Diggs? I don't know. They haven't been able to run the ball. They haven't been able to solidify a number two receiver, uh, a legitimate number two. We thought Gabe Davis was it, but he has, it's turned out that he ain't the, he ain't the answer. Um, they do have a double tight end set now. They drafted a tight end and they already have a good tight end there. That's so, interesting to me yeah, for the record. <laughs> maybe that's the plan is the, that's how they're going to get out of it. But I have a hard time imagining how they can have a top of the league offense, which I do think Certainly they, not the running game. Yeah, I do think they need a top of the league offense yeah. to be competitive. So, yeah, this is the one time where I'd be like, yeah. There's a non a non quarterback who can swing the a team's Super Bowl aspirations. So whatever the issue is, they better sort that out. The other thing that I find interesting with the Bills is that I think it's <laughs> minus the embezzlement. It's fair to call him the mod like in certain ways a modern Brett Favre, the way that Josh Allen plays, where you live with the mistakes for the for the highs. And when you have a quarterback or a player that oscillates more than other star players in their position, it, it really helps to have perfection around them where those, those peaks and valleys can get covered up by exceptional performance. And if you take the second most exceptional player off the field, I feel like that can have a bigger effect than it would with other elite quarterbacks because we saw Joe Burrow be really good last year when Jamar Chase was injured. We saw Patrick Mahomes win the Super Bowl with, without Tyreek Hill and with MVS just doing wind sprints yeah. essentially. Um, so, you know, it's it's unique that a top three guy is so dependent on a receiver, but I feel like this is a unique case where that tandem is more connected than other top tandems. Yeah, the the issue with Josh Allen is that he's like Patrick Mahomes and that he tries to do wild things, except Patrick Mahomes doesn't make as nearly nearly as many mistakes. So the good with the bad. I, I think we talk about trade offs a lot. I think the trade-off for Josh Allen right now, the calculus on that, yeah. 100%. Don't try to pretend like you're going to coach the turnovers out of him. He's going to try to do amazing things. Most of the time, it's going to work out. Now, and I think part of the reason why he tries to do that is because he feels like it's his responsibility. Yeah. You take the the one player who can take some pressure off of him, and I think he feels even more like he has to make things happen, and it probably leads to even more turnovers. He's not going to like 
turn into a pumpkin. But this is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Yeah. This is just when it's just when you're at the top of the top and you're being compared to Mahomes and Burrow, et cetera. These are the standards you're held. Yeah, to. I don't think either of us are arguing yeah. that he's going to be bad, but I do think that their Super Bowl window closes yeah. if Stefan Diggs is not there at all. I agree. Yeah, I think maybe they could, if he's there for much of the season, they get into playoffs. Maybe they could win a couple playoff games without him. But the idea that he is the centerpiece of that offense is not there. Well, Josh Allen is the centerpiece, but he is the most important player on that offense, not named Josh Allen. Without him being there, I think their uh, the expectations for them change. So we should we should short them right now. Is that can is that part of gambling? Can you short teams? I'm, you can bet them to not make the playoffs. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not that crazy because I think they'll I don't figure know what the it odds out. are, but they, it's too much money. They'll figure it out. All um, right. So, quite one final thought on that. Does it make the video more or less funny with the Vikings teammates saying, who would you want to not date your sister and every single player in the locker room say to say Diggs? Well, I mean, they said it in a smiling way. They like Diggs. Yeah. And then he said, I'm a nice guy. He really, is a nice I am. Guy. He is a nice guy. Yeah, really is. That's it. That's it. All right. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, uh, Sarah Abbott, Christina Busco, Adi Khan, and Podville. Appreciate y'all. We out. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.